and greetings. Thank you so much for joining me today. This is Ellen Kamai, the natural nurse. And as always, we are wishing you the best. We love that you join us right here on the natural nurse and Dr. Z. And we always have wonderful guests. We bring you lots of information and we get all kinds of emails and Facebook posts and uh, Instagram messages and all those kind of things. So we'd like to tell you where our classes are because you can join us and many, many classes are coming up that are 100% free. And many of them have CE units. Those are for people who need to have a certain amount of credits for their professional license. If they're a nurse, massage therapist, acupuncturist, registered dietitian, nurse practitioner, people with a license have to have what's called ongoing units. It does depend on your state. But ours are accepted uh, pretty much by every state. And they're about holistic living. And of course, a lot of them about herbs in particular, which is going to be our topic for today when we bring on board our guest, Mimi Prunella Hernandez, who is an herbalist and author of a beautiful new book called National Geographic Herbal. So let me tell you about some of the up and coming classes. You can find them and you can register by going to naturalnurse.com and then go to classes and events. So we have a free class coming up very soon on February 5th, and it's from 6.30 to 7.30 p.m. If you register and don't attend, you'll get a link to the recording, which is also free. And this is a live Q&A with yours truly, Ellen Kamai, the natural nurse. We'll be taking your questions about herbs and mostly about how do you become an RH? How do you become a registered herbalist? Or if you'd prefer to just use herbs for yourself and your family, how do you get the best information so that you're not worrying about herb-drug interactions, you're not worrying about uh, giving, let's say, a pregnant woman the wrong herb? How do you find out that information? about functioning in the world of herbs. So this is a free live Q&A, and we'll also discuss our up and coming class, which is the Natural Nurse Herbal Certification course. That starts in March. So that's something else you may want to get involved in because this gives you 18 CEUs for your professional licensing schedule and gives you tons of information about how to function in the world of herbal medicine. We have other classes coming up as well. For instance, on March 5th, we have a free, another free class, and this is about Hildegard, weaving the tapestry of healing from the cosmic elements. And this class is free and open to all, and it's being put on by NYU College of Nursing. So isn't that amazing? When I became an herbalist in 1964, I did not become a nurse until 1973. But even then, I never thought that nursing and herbalism would be discussed in the same sentence. And here we are giving a lecture on Hildegard, weaving the tapestry of healing from the cosmic elements. Hildegard is an amazing nun, herbalist, musician, and she lived so many years ago in the 
century that still starts with a one. So that is free and open to all. You can uh, find the link of how you can register. And that gives one CEU credits through NYU College of Nursing. Then also, if any of you would like to join myself and today's guest, Mimi, we'll both be presenting at the 13th Annual Florida Herbal Conference. And I have presented there every year since inception, just about. And this year is really special because it will be available both in person, come to Lake Wales, Florida. It's a beautiful center where we're having that. And then also you can attend virtually. So the link to sign up is right at naturalnurse.com. It's the 13th annual Florida Herbal Conference and a whole discussion of how you sign up and what's going to be going on there, which is a lot of fun. And I will be there along with today's guest, Mimi. So, you know, some things to find at naturalnurse.com under classes and events. A lot of it is free. Um, a lot of it is very cost effective. And all of it will enhance your knowledge and understanding about how you can integrate herbal medicine into your life. And today's guest, as we said, is Mimi Prunella Hernandez, and she is an herbalist for many years and also author of an absolutely beautiful new book called National Geographic Herbal. With her wealth of knowledge, dedication, and love for all things herbal, um, she has been very busy in the herbal industry. For over 10 years, Mimi served as the executive director of the American Herbalist Guild, and she has worked tirelessly to ensure that herbalists have a strong professional community to support their work. She also received the Botanical Excellence Award from the American Botanical Council, a prestigious honor that recognizes her as a Mark Blumenthal Herbal Community Builder. And Mimi is a clinical herbalist with a master's degree in herbal medicine and has mentored students in clinical and community herbalism through various educational platforms. So thank you so much for joining us today, Mimi. Hi, Ellen. Thanks for having me here. I'm so excited to be here and chat with you. Me too. And I'm looking forward to seeing you at the Florida Herbal Conference in a few weeks. I'm so excited. I just booked my tickets. <laughs> so even though it's in Florida, that, that weekend, like the end of February and March, could go one way or another. We've actually had that conference where everybody is wearing, like you'd think they were back in Colorado where you're from. So just bring along a little jacket. And then again, it could be super hot and we'll be swimming in the pool in the lake. So one never knows. But one thing we can be sure of is there will be lots of beautiful plants. And that, of course, is the focus of your new book. Let's go back in time, Mimi, and share with our audience what led you to be an herbalist. Ooh. Well, Ellen, I think I always knew growing up that I just wanted to be um, have a role in healing. Like, I was really on the track to go to medical school for so long, and I was a very academic person as a young person in school. Um, I even did in college all the sciences and the chemistry and the physics and the biology. <laughs> well, all that science really made me fall in love with botany and with ecology and with the outdoor sciences. 
And I started to see the world in a different way. And, um, and then, you know, when it was time to kind of make that decision about my next path, uh, I really was drawn to medicine, but in my mind, I needed real world medicine. And that kind of, with my need for being outside uh, and my love for the outdoors, um, that kind of just came full circle and it just hit me like electricity, <laughs> maybe herbal medicine. And uh, and that just, you know, then... Uh, then I remembered that, you know, well, you know, that's something that my grandmothers have really influenced me um, a lot and, and something that I, I've watched a lot growing up. And um, and I was really surprised at the time to find that I couldn't just go to herbal medicine school. Uh, it wasn't, you know, you know, back then it wasn't really an option. Um, you know, today there are so many herb schools, but um, so I had to really just create a path for it. And, uh, but yeah, I fell in love with the body and everything, cell biology and physiology and everything that happens in the body. Uh, and then just kind of coupled that up with my love of the outdoors and, uh, you know, my connection to plants. Well, that's a great story. I guess one path would have been to become a naturopathic physician because licensed naturopathic physicians, which is very different from naturopathic physicians who go to an online school. I mean, the real schools like Bastier, you actually do become a doctor who's very knowledgeable in herbal medicine. So that's one path. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. And I recognize that now. And and back then, I think we're talking about like the late 80s or early 90s. I was, I was, you know, really looking at naturopathic schools, but I, you know, I was in Indiana and all the naturopathic schools were on the coasts. Right. And yeah. And, and I, I really wasn't sure what was going to happen with all the licensure of naturopaths back then. And now I work, naturopaths are my colleagues. So I'm, I'm so glad it's flourishing. Yeah. Except, and they have challenges too, like you said. Yeah, certainly. They still have those challenges. Mm -hmm. They do. But it is an interesting path because you do then blend together deep understanding of medicine with herbs. So what you did was become really an expert. And then, of course, your work life reflected that love of herbs because you were so deeply involved with the American Herbalist Guild for so many years. Yes, I I have been, and uh, that's been, uh, you know, part of that journey, part of decision of of finding academic pathway for uh, for my own herbal training, and just you know going along that journey and, and kind of having to craft it myself along the way, and um, I just thought that. You know, I wanted to be there and provide resources for folks who are, you know, putting it together <laughs> as they go and, and and folks who are looking for the resources and looking for, um, you know, the high standard information and connections uh, that the American Herbalist Guild does hold for uh, clinical and professional herbalists around the country. So now, is this your first book? We now are going to be talking about your beautiful new book. And wow, what better publisher could you have than National Geographic? Did they find you and request that you share your knowledge? They did. And thank you. It is my first book. 
And yes, they just kind of landed on my lap one day. Um, and I was um, actually, I, I was teaching Ellen at a naturopathic school uh, on the West Coast. And I was teaching a class about um, medicinal constituents. And I also taught another class about sacred plants of Latin America. And there was a woman there who really loved the class. And uh, apparently one of her best friends is a senior editor at National Geographic. And she dropped my name and told her about me. And um, the, the editor is Susan Hitchcock. And they did a little research on me and looked me up. And, and then just, you know, right at the beginning of COVID, when we were all kind of you know, starting to shelter in place. Stuck in the house anyway. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I just got this phone call and a voicemail from Susan Hitchcock at National Geographic Books. And she's like, we want to talk to you about your interest in working with us. And I just remember like texting my whole family. I'm like, I just got a phone call from National Geographic <laughs> and they were all celebrating me. And I, and I called Susan back. And it took us, you know, maybe that summer to really um, uh, envision a plan. We've really hit it off. We just synergize so well. Every time I get on the phone with Susan, we just have all these ideas. And, um, you know, it's just she's I couldn't ask for a better editor. And it has just taken off from there. Well, you can see how beautiful the book is. And I invite all our listeners is easily available on Amazon, both in a hard copy, which is beautifully illustrated, and also as an ebook. And it's called National Geographic Herbal. Easy name, National Geographic Herbal, 100 Herbs from the World's Healing Traditions. So this book really focuses on international plants. Right. Um, you know, I wanted to make sure that um, you know, we felt like um, we were in a way taking a journey around the globe and uh, pulling in plants from all different types of cultures. And I thought it was just important for readers to really understand that the wisdom of some of these herbs that are even well known on the store shelf, that there's a story behind them and there's people behind them. And there's herbalists behind them. Um, one of the one of the biggest ethos I had about the book is writing about herbalists and how herbalists use these plants. And that could be clinical herbalists or kitchen herbalists or gardening herbalists or wild crafter herbalists. I mean, there's so many ways to practice herbalism. And I've really, you know, knowing that this was a National Geographic book and and it would be in front of non-herbalist eyes, like probably school people at schools and and institutions, libraries might pick this up. Um, I just really wanted the public to know that um, you know there's a wide variety of herbalism alive in the world, and um, and we all have a very unique lens of looking at these healing traditions, but also looking at the research and the clinical herbalism. And just um, just a, a lot of times you find these reference books and they never mention an herbalist ever. They just talk about the plants. 
uh, which is beautiful too, but I really wanted people to make that connection that people devote their lives to working with these plants. And this is how they see them. Well, it's just beautifully laid out. And also you have a forward by Tiarana Lodog. When I met Tiarana, she was an herbalist. And then she decided to go back to school to become an MD. Right. Isn't that impressive? And I just heard your intro that you were an herbalist too before you became a nurse. That's uh, true. <laughs> so, yeah, that's so wonderful. Yeah. I was really humbled by Dr. Lodog uh, uh, writing the forward of my book. And, you know, I feel like in a way she's taken me under her wing a little bit. I'm actually going to meet her uh, in person because we are both keynoting the Midwest Women's Herb Conference. And I'm so looking forward to just spending some time uh, with her. And I have worked with her in like some other like official capacities, uh, but it's always work, work. So I'm really just looking forward to having a chance to sit with her and just really, um, I guess, just vibe with her <laughs> and have lunch or something. Right. So, just hang um, out. She's so impressive. Yeah. She's, I just remember even as a younger student, I used to, really like her materia medica and her articles i mean she's just and and i'm stepping into her shoes in a way because she um has written for national geographic in the past so um so yeah i couldn't you know i'm just really blown away and humbled to be you know the next author uh, right behind tirona lodog now the book is beautifully illustrated and Probably, I would imagine that that was helped along by National Geographic because they have such a huge array of illustrations available, which is really great. And there's beautiful pictures of every single plant that you talk about, many of which people probably have in their yard. Like towards the beginning, you have a great book of a picture of really common plants like St. John's wort and mm -hmm. fever few. I mean, this stuff just grows around everyone's house if they live in the Northeast kind of area. Different plants grow down here in Florida, but it's beautiful, beautiful photography. It really was. And the whole aesthetic of the book was the vision of a beautiful artist named Uliana Basar, who is a designer for, the, for this project. And uh, she definitely had a vision in mind and, uh, you know, but it took a team to get like all like the correct botanical um, identification on all the plants. I mean, some were more challenging than other. We have a few Stephen Foster photos in there. So that's really nice. Uh, and um, but not just the illustrations, um, I'm sorry, not just photography, but illustrations. And I actually have a photo in there, too, which I'm really proud of. Uh, and there's a little story behind that because um, in the section for the chili pepper for capsicum, uh, I wanted, I wrote a little recipe in the sidebar about one of my family's recipes, which is Colombian ahi, which is like a vinaigrette, um, spicy vinaigrette uh, salsa. And uh, initially they had just put a picture of like a chili pepper there. And I was like, no, my family really needs a picture of ahi. And then they put, kind of just like a salsa picture there. I'm like, no, ahi is not salsa. Um, it looks very different. And the book was almost ready to go to print. And I just, it was like a lingering thing for me. And I was like, please, I will make the ahi 
I will stage the photo. Please let me do this. And they gave me advice. They gave me the aesthetic. They taught me about the lighting. And I just went out there and made the ahi and took the picture on this old rustic picnic table. And I got a photo credit in National Geographic for insisting that my family's ahi recipe uh, would be in there. So that sounds great. And the book is beautiful. Where would someone see, you know, what page? And let's talk about that ahi recipe. Oh, yeah. So it was on, um, it's in my first chapter, which is the first chapter is sensory herbalism. And you know, Ellen, that often that's where we start. We just want to make sure that people um, see herbs through their senses, whether it's that spicy flavor or the bitter flavor, or if it's aromatics, or if it's the mucilage and the sliminess, or, you know, there's just so many ways that herbalists assess um, assess herbs and um, and that plays into how useful the herbs are. I'm looking for the page. Let's see. Oh, here. that's okay. So it's, in <laughs> it's in chapter one because you know that um, cayenne is probably one of the more sensory stimulating herbs out there. And it is on page uh, 29. Uh, it's called aji picante. And the recipe really is white vinegar. Um, and it has uh, green chili peppers or fresh green jalapeno with uh, green onion and red tomato, a ripe tomato, a little cilantro. Uh, but the, the key is that the, um, the fresh ingredients are chopped very small, very tiny. Uh, and then a lot of like... So it's a vinegar and water mix. So it ends up being like a little watery. So it's something that, or vinegary. So it's something that you drizzle, like in Colombia, every meal has the Colombian ají and you drizzle it on your rice and you drizzle it on your, on your um, potatoes and, and uh, your various dishes, your, your empanadas, if you will. How would that uh, be different so than let's say a Louisiana type Tabasco? Ooh, well, it is chunky and fresh. Okay. So you, you do have like pieces of, of pepper and you have pieces of tomato and onion floating in that liquid brew. Well, it sounds great. It's a wonderful recipe and people can check it out. We're going to go for a little break right here to listen to the Natural okay. Medicine Chest. But today we are talking with author Mimi. And we're talking about her beautiful new book, National Geographic herbal such a easy thing to find national geographic herbal with a huge company beautifully done great information and we'll go into more when we get back from our break and you can always find us at naturalnurse.com we'll be right back with more on this edition of the natural medicine chest we'll discuss an herb we all know and love cinnamon Ah, spicy, sweet smell of cinnamon. Everyone recognizes the familiar aroma of this common kitchen spice. But did you know that cinnamon is an exotic plant bark with a long history of medicinal use in many countries throughout the world? Cinnamon was listed as an herb with medicinal properties in Chinese literature as early as 2700 BC. It is described in the Chinese medical text, the Tang Materia Medica, written in 659 AD. Cinnamon also enjoys traditional use in Ayurvedic medicine, the ancient healing art of India, 
It is mentioned in the Book of Moses and has been cultivated in Ceylon and Sri Lanka since 1200 AD, where much of the world's supply is still grown. In Europe, cinnamon was regarded as a rare and precious spice. Many pharmaceutical substances such as cough syrups and digestive tonics contain cinnamon. It was also used as an incense and in perfumes. According to Chamberlain, writing in France in 1887, cinnamon possesses the greatest antiseptic properties. Cinnamon is gathered from the dried inner bark of the branches of a small tropical evergreen laurel tree. The bark is peeled off and as the pieces are dried, they curl up into quills. These are the common cinnamon sticks that are used in herb teas and for baking. In Chinese medicine, cinnamon is one of the most widely used warming herbs to aid in circulation and digestion. It is a common ingredient in small amounts in tea used for nausea during pregnancy. It is also used following delivery to decrease hemorrhage. Cinnamon raises vitality, warms and stimulates all the vital functions of the body, counteracts congestion, improves the digestive system, relieves abdominal spasms, and aids in peripheral circulation. The essential oils contained in cinnamon include eugenol, cinnamonic aldehyde, methyl eugenol, tannins, and mannitol, which gives cinnamon its sweet flavor. It also contains cinzenolin and cinzenolol, which are both known insecticides. Try putting some liquid soap and cinnamon in a spray bottle and use on plants as an organic bug repellent. Cinnamon is also included in many medicinal recipes that are used for lice, scabies, and other skin parasites. Cinnamon has antifungal, antiviral, and bactericidal activities. It has been shown to suppress E. coli, Staphylococcus, and Candida albicans. So listeners, the next time you inhale that sweet, spicy aroma, remember there's more to cinnamon that meets the nose as you reach into your natural medicine chest. And welcome back. Thanks for joining us today right here on The Natural Nurse and Dr. Z. And you know, you can get our podcasts. I have a little square on my phone that says podcasts, and then you can sign up for any podcasts you like. And of course, you can listen anytime. We're live on air as well as via podcast. And the name of this show is The Natural Nurse and Dr. Z. And then our other show is called Herbally Yours. So they're both about natural medicine. They're both about herbs because that's what we've been doing for many, many decades. And today we're so happy to have on board as our guest, Mimi Hernandez, Mimi Prunella Hernandez. She is an herbalist and author of National Geographic Herbal, which is a beautiful, beautiful book. And you can find Mimi at theponderland.com. Tell us about that, Mimi. What is the Ponderland? Well, Ellen, that year that um, Susan reached out to me happened to be a very eventful year for the world. Uh, I actually thought it was a good time to escape the city. Uh, and I um, found a homestead here in um, the mountains, in the foothills of uh, Western North Carolina. And I've got about five acres here. It's my first home. Uh, and uh, I was just so blessed with all the native plants. We have uh, woods here, 
and we have a creek and a pond and room to garden and, and have animals. And I thought I really, really, it always was my dream to steward native plants because they're so important, especially native medicinal herbs. And a lot of them are here. We have black cohosh and golden seal and blood root, and it's just such a rich forest cove. And so I um, visualized this for a long time and took inventory for a couple of years and just got out there with my field guides and started keeping track of all the plants coming up. And, uh, and then I started working with United Plant Savers toward this goal of making the Ponderland a uh, part of the uh, plant sanctuary network, the botanical sanctuary network with United Plant Savers. And I got that approval. And so now I'm part of this big network around the world, uh, and we have uh, uh, workshops here and herb walks, and, but it's a lot of work. I mean, it's a lot of tending to invasive plants. We live in Kudzu County here um, in Polk County, North Carolina. A lot of kudzu wanting to gladly hasn't come onto my property yet, but I have found a couple kudzu sprouts and when you see a kudzu sprout, it really is like a, a five foot tall sprout, right? So I'm like, how'd this get here? And so um, Japanese honeysuckle, and these are plants I write in the book because even though they're um, non-native, uh, they're introduced species from other lands, uh, but they will take over if you let them. And so a lot of my work initially was pulling back honeysuckle vine uh, it was just like a big mat on the forest floor. And I spent hours and hours just rolling up honeysuckle uh, and pulling out privet and, and things like that. And it was such a beautiful process because as soon as I cleared an area of all the honeysuckle, then I started getting yellow root and, uh, and collinsonia or um, stone root and uh, it's just been such a beautiful process to watch and um, a lot of work, uh, but a lot of love. And that really is where my passion is and and then gardening. Uh, and so we've we've started a lot of herbal gardens and and it, it's just been such a beautiful experience. Well, the website is beautiful, too. So I'll give that another shout out for those of you who want to take a look. And also, as you know, all of our shows are archived after today's live event. So you can always visit and then we have live links. So Mimi's place that she's talking about is called The Ponderland and the website is theponderland.com and it's beautiful. The photography there is gorgeous. I would have one little request Mimi, yes. you have these beautiful pictures. I don't know if you took them yourself or where you got them. They're on your website of your local plants. I would love the name of each plant under it. Oh, that's, I love that. Yes, and <laughs> they are my photos. I've like really um, have a hobby of taking photography here on the land and, and natural photography. My house is decorated and imagery and um, yes, and I'm I'm also creating like a database of all the photos with all the information, uh, and that's soon to come. But we have um, I've inventoried over 130 native plants on this property, and even me, you know, we're plant people, and we have been for a long time. But even when I when I get out and I take a walk, I always find something new, something new to me, like plants that I hadn't 
ever known. So it's a humbling experience and it's just such a feeling of abundance too, but it needs stewardship because it's a hidden treasure here. And I just feel really called to protect it and uh, to, um, you know, give homage to the generations before and also leave it in good shape for the future generations. Well, that, that's a wonderful project. And your photography is excellent. And I'm just thinking back years ago at the American Herbalist Guild one time at one of our conferences, I was talking to Stephen Foster, who you brought up, mm-hmm. who was very, very famous um, herbal photographer. And I would say you are too. Yeah. Uh, maybe, maybe you're not as famous as him yet. But, you know, he's passed away and we need to move forward with this. But what we were talking about there is he had his his beautiful, excellent photographs posted somewhere and then people would just steal them and not give him photo credit. So we were talking about him having them that you could look at them, but yet they had something over them that if you just took it, you can't really use it without paying a fee, which you deserve. So just throwing that out there for the future for for you. But I love those photographs on your website. And that's the only thing, like it would be so educational if you just put the name of the plant, you know, and have a little asterisk photo credit by you and then make it so people can't really just copy them unless it's okay with you, you know, because (laughs) no, no, it becomes a source of income. And if, if you happen to get, you know, so independently wealthy by selling millions of these books that you don't need the income, well, then you can use it towards plant savers, right? So there's exactly. always really mm-hmm. people shouldn't just be stealing people's work, but they do. And, and that was just a conversation that came to me with Stephen so many years ago. And then he really did make his business the business of providing herbal photography. Absolutely. He does have some of the most beautiful imagery out there. And yeah, that's great advice, Ellen. (laughs) Yeah, why not? Because it brings together your love, your expertise allows you to correctly share it with the Mm -hmm. world. Mm -hmm. And it's just a beautiful book. You talk a lot about kitchen herbalism. Now, I love that you have um, a a whole little section here about the tradition of fire cider because mm-hmm. you and I together were actually on, um, you know, a committee and then there were a lot of legal issues that were brought up with fire cider. So what do you talk about in terms of the tradition of fire cider? Well, fire cider is just such a wonderful concoction and it's something that's held by the herbal community and it's the way that an herbalist expresses themselves through their fire cider is something beautiful because everyone's recipe is different. Uh, you know, I love putting hibiscus in my fire cider. Um, I talked to Lucretia Van Dyke, who is the author of African American Herbals, and she, um, you know, loves using hibiscus. I, I'm sorry, I use prickly pear in mine. Um, they both make a beautiful, like, scarlet colored fire cider. But at its heart is a remedy um, really um, uh, given a lot of attention by Rosemary Gladstar, who um, it's just such a, it should be a household staple. Um, it's a vinegar and honey concoction, which is infused with garlic and ginger and cayenne uh, and other things like maybe turmeric or onions or horseradish, or like I said, everyone's recipe is different. Uh, but it's a very kind of stimulating and warming recipe. 
Um, and uh, I like taking it at the onset of a sore throat or if I feel a little run down or if my sinuses feeling stuffy, then just a, a shot of fire cider really gets my blood moving, gets those secretions moving out. And it's just, you know, I think there was, and you and I know there was a period when um, uh, there were companies trying to trademark fire cider. And we didn't like that because that's our concoction. That's like a, almost like a universal household remedy and we didn't like that uh, companies were trying to trademark that because that's just a traditional standard for us. Right. That was and, and they actually won that case that they were not allowed to trademark that name Firesider. But that's somebody right. had to put a lot of time and money. You know, there's so much politics in herbal medicine right now, as you well know, but maybe the listeners don't. Um, even in terms of not allowing the discussion of therapeutic uses, which you have about every herb, and which we just did one on cinnamon in our natural medicine chest. You probably exactly. heard that. We have hundreds of those little audio pieces and we discuss in depth the therapeutic uses but that where that becomes a problem is if we wanted to sell an herbal remedy about cinnamon then you're not allowed to say what it does right it or not that. and that was a beautiful um that was a beautiful snippet about cinnamon i like really felt like i was there in the tropics peeling cinnamon bark which i have done uh, so, but it really took me back and I just love the way, um, you know, the education there about how we use it and what for, uh, but then I also noticed you weren't selling a product. So, no. right, right. So and in your, in it's just information and education. So, so that's good that we still can do that. And that's why your book is so beautiful because you discuss a lot of the his, histor um, historic use um, you know, how you would use things medicinally and your pictures are beautiful. Like even in terms of cinnamon, you have a recipe called Nutty Cinnamon Bites. So you integrate like the food aspect with the historic aspect and the healing aspect in this beautiful volume called National Geographic Herbal. What are Nutty Cinnamon Bites? <laughs> Well, I love, you know, at heart, I am a kitchen herbalist. I love cooking. I love playing in the kitchen and I love caring for people through cooking. And it really is just one of the most important things in my herbalism. And nutty cinnamon bites are just a way that I love to dispense cinnamon powder. Uh, and basically it's just rolling um, a lot of cinnamon powder into your favorite nut butter um, until you have something firm and you can roll them into little balls. And, uh, you know, as we know, uh, you know, cinnamon is great for people who are watching their blood sugar. Um, and so I think it's, it's not very easy to just grab cinnamon powder every, everywhere you go and every time you need it. Um, and so here we have, um, you know, a quick little bite that you can take and you can keep them in your freezer, or your fridge and pull them out as needed. And the nut butter, nut butter is a good, you know, good protein, good fats. And so that also helps uh, with nourishment. And, and so yeah, it's just a way to get um, this healthy um, spice into your body.
And you have so many tips, like even within the nutty cinnamon bites, you mention a kind of cinnamon. How would somebody know if they're getting salon cinnamon, that's C-E-Y-L-O-N, versus like cassia cinnamon? How would anybody even know? Right. I always just, I ask for uh, cinnamon verum. You know, I always look at the botanical name over cinnamon cassia. Um, again, cassia is beautiful too. It's just cassia is a little bolder, a little spicier, a little redder. Um, but the true cinnamon is so beautiful. It's just very light and aromatic and flaky. And I grew up with it because um, my family, I have a big part of my family is Mexican and they love true cinnamon there. So they use that light, very flaky uh, cinnamon. And my grandmother, my abuelita in, in Mexico City used to make this beautiful hot chocolate. Um, and she'd use cacao and she would put cinnamon in there. And uh, I wanted to replicate her recipe when I had grown up and she had already passed away. And I started making this cacao hot chocolate and I put cinnamon in there and, you know, I'd sit down with my cacao uh, hot chocolate and it just wasn't the same as my grandma's. And I really struggled with that. I'm like, it's wonderful, but it's not the same as abuelita's. And it wasn't until I was sitting in a herbal medicine class, actually with the um, herbalist James Snow, and he was passing around bags of different species of cinnamon. And one of them was true cinnamon. And the second I opened that baggie and took a, a whiff of that aroma, all of a sudden I was transported back to my grandma's kitchen, sipping her hot chocolate. And I was like, that's the missing ingredient. That's exactly the cinnamon that I grew up with. And so, um, yeah, I tried that in my hot chocolate and then I could finally, you know, feel like I was drinking my grandma's cocoa. That's really funny that you found it that way. Yes. Um, and my first herbal education, which was from my grandmother, and she was from Greece, and she was my first herbal teacher. So it sounds like you had a similar relationship with your grandmother. I did. And, you know, I was a young child, and uh, we spent a lot of time in Mexico City, summers and holidays with my grandma. And, um, you know, I didn't know that she she didn't call herself an herbalist. I didn't know about herbalism. It was just a way of life. And she tended to the children of the neighborhood. She tended to the women in the neighborhood. And it was very common for we're just sitting there, we're sweeping or doing chores, and someone knocks on the door because they have a, an ailment. Uh, and my grandma would just invite them in, sit them at the little kitchen table. And she's like, always the first thing she would do is pour a cup of tea and say, let's chat. And they would just have a little chit chat, which my grandma calls the platica, um, and just listen to the story. And then she would nod. And then she'd either go to her pantry and start putting something together or head out to the garden and start pulling, plucking some herbs um, or even grab some herbs off her altar uh, because she had a lot of sacred herbalism in her life. And um, and I actually watched her tend to people and I watched some healings too, like some what I thought was very impressive healings like right in front of me. And I was just a child on her apron strings, like watching this. And little did I know that when I grew up, 
I would remember all of that and that would inform and inspire my own herbalism as a as a career in fact. Well, that is a beautiful story and we're going to take a little break here. We're talking with our guest today, Mimi Prunella Hernandez, herbalist, author of National Geographic Herbal. And of course, after our show, as always, we'll have Mimi's bio and we'll have links to the ponderland.com, the name of her book. You can easily find it anywhere books are sold. And right now we're going to take a moment to allow our station to identify itself. You're listening to Progressive Radio Network. You can always listen to their shows live and also archived at Progressive uh, PRN.LIVE. We will be right back with more right here on The Natural Nurse and Dr. Z. And welcome back to more right here on The Natural Nurse and Dr. Z. And one of the things that would be Wonderful. If you'd like to get in touch is go to naturalnurse.com. We also have Facebook, The Natural Nurse, Instagram, The Natural Nurse, all those kinds of things. But I really still love the website because things stay there. You know what I mean? When you go to Instagram or Facebook, it's the event of the week and it goes away. But on the website, we have all the events as well as a full description of them, how you can get CE units if you need them and you don't have to take them. You can be someone just interested in herbalism and learn how to be the best herbalist just for yourself or yourself and your family, and that's good enough. Or if you're someone who is a professional, you can learn to correctly incorporate herbal protocols into your therapeutic modalities. And thank you so much for joining us today, Mimi. We're back with our guest, Mimi Hernandez. And Mimi is an herbalist and author of National Geographic Herbal, which we're actually looking at that beautiful book while we're doing the show today. And it has so many interesting parts to it. So thank you so much for being our guest today, Mimi. I am so happy to be here, Ellen. Thank you for having me. Now, tell us what is Herbal House Calls? That's a great name. What are are Herbal House Calls? Oh, I love this. I'm so glad you asked. And it's what I love doing as a community herbalist. And so I love making these baskets of goodies and remedies. And so if I have a neighbor, for example, this happened recently, my my neighbor sprained her ankle and I was like, hold on, I'll be there this afternoon. And I made her some nettle decoction and I went out to the, um, and made some, you know, I ground up some, uh, comfrey to make a poultice and, uh, you know, so I just like made a basket of goodies that would be, um, healing for her and I just deliver it. I just go and, and deliver soup and deliver syrups and tinctures and make pretty little baskets. And sometimes when people are sick, they don't want to be bothered. So sometimes I just leave it on the step and and let them, you know, come out when when they're ready and and have something warm to to warm up and and so I, I just think that, you know, as herbalists, we make a lot of remedies and then we kind of sit and wait for people to come to us. And I just really love the idea of coming out to see people and, you know, coming out to deliver these remedies. It really just, it's very fulfilling. 
And I, I would love to inspire herbalists around the country to take more of an active role in delivering care. And when you're saying delivering, you're talking about that in a very literal sense, you bring it over to someone's house. I do. I do. And, you know, it happened because several years ago, I um, had a surgery and I had my own health challenges and I felt really isolated and I was in bed recovering and I just, you know, I had a, a good friend who was an herbalist who dropped off a box of nettle soup and fermented yogurt and some beautiful tea blends and it really made a huge difference in my healing to to know that someone cared and to know that uh you know i didn't have to get up and cook for myself and it just really left a profound mark on me and i was like i need to do this too so uh that's uh one of the things i love about uh being an herbalist so you're passing that healing on now yeah. i know in your book you have beautiful traditional law information, but you also include current scientific knowledge, which of course in a book is whatever when you're writing now, because new mm -hmm. studies come up every single day. I go to PubMed, anybody can, totally free. And there you can just sign up for PubMed, totally free. Mm -hmm. And they have filters where you can ask to get to your email every day, every time anything about herbs comes up in terms of the you know deep conventional scientific literature and there's so much now every day so why do you feel that's important to keep up with as well there is so much and i used to live in maryland and i lived just a short drive from the national library of medicine so when i was a young herbal student I actually um, became an information broker, um, just my own business, and I would go to the National Library of Medicine every week and pull up every article that was published on herbal remedies, herbalism, medicinal plants, ethnobotany, and I had clientele around the country, doctors, nurses, researchers, um, and back then I would literally print these studies out and big stacks of, I'd come out of that library with big stacks of articles uh, for my clients. And uh, it just, you know, is really, uh, uh, you know, there's so many people out there who say, oh, herbs don't work because there's no research. I was like, well, look at this, you know, there is so much research coming out every week, as you said, and uh, you know, and I had the proof in my hands, like there's just so much out there. And so don't let anyone tell you that there's no research on herbal medicine because yeah. there is a lot. That is true. If your physician tells you there's no research, you know, truthfully, you can always hire a different physician. What they can say to you, and this is true, I'm sorry, I have never studied herbalism. I can't give you good information about that. But if you decide to try herbs for your situation, I'm here as your support. I will do the testing to see if things are going in the right direction, things like that. So you can work together. Then you can honor them for their knowledge. But any doctor who says herbs have not been studied is really uh, not knowledgeable at all because it's in the mainstream medical literature, not I, only in your beautiful book. Mm -hmm, I agree. So it definitely can all work together. In fact, the NIH, and I'm on the panel of the NIH, 
um, they are now promoting that standard of practice should include lifestyle medicine, food, herbs, and other natural therapeutics before prescriptions are written. And they're saying that is the evidenced medicine today, even though it hasn't been implemented now yet. And that has to do with politics, not about what's shown scientifically for health. Absolutely. So everyone, you know, looking at your book, it's such a well-rounded perspective and a beautiful, beautiful book with great illustrations, ancient illustrations, as well as modern illustrations, and also how to use herbs. And if you're just somebody who likes recipes, that's in there. You really bring together a wonderful compendium of all kinds of information about a lot of very common herbs and some that are not so common. Absolutely. Yes. And I, I really wanted to pull in herbs from like, you know, from my background and from other places of the world, maybe a little, you know, we, our focus definitely is a lot of Western herbs. And I was like, I want to like, how about sunflowers? We all know sunflowers and we use them a lot in Mexico medicinally. And so I was like, I really want sunflower in there. I really want red bush tea in there from Africa. And, you know, some of these herbs that we're familiar with, but they're not really a big part of the Materia Medica of Western herbalism. So, um, yeah, I definitely wanted to give a lot of credit to like, I have a section on Gola Geechee herbs because I live in North Carolina and here on the coast of North Carolina is a robust Gola Geechee community who still practices uh, African-American herbalism. And so I wanted to give credit to some of the different wisdom keepers around the world. And that was a big part of uh, my thought with this book. Well, it is beautiful. Thank you so much for sharing it. And do you have any parting comments for our listeners? Um, no, but I'm was really happy to be here. And you can find me also on Instagram. I'm Mimi Prunella Hernandez. Um, and my I also have a webpage at Mimi Prunella Hernandez.com. And yes, I just hope that um, you get a lot of joy from the book. And it's almost like a little trip around the world with herbs. Well, thank you so much being our guest today, Mimi. And thank you listeners for joining us once again for another time together with myself and behalf of myself and my partner, Dr. Eugene Samperone from The Natural Nurse and Dr. Z. We're hoping that you stay healthy. 